You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brand Spark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Week 51 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Warby Parker. Friends of the pod can get a free five-day at-home trial. Try five pairs for free at home for five days. No obligation. Go to warbyparkertrial.com slash Han. Listen later on the show for more details. So we're still at home. We're still inside. We're still wondering what comes next in this national crisis. I hope you're making the best of a bad situation, America. I hope you're thriving in these wild times, and I hope that our conversations are helping you somewhat. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the votes. Not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. So every time I hear that last line in my intro, I believe it. I hope you believe it. I hope you believe that there is nothing wrong with this country that can't be cured by what is right with this country. I know that uh, we're all going through this together, and we're all in it together. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if you live in a big city or a small town. Uh, this is something that is impacting your life right now. It is impacting the nation. It is impacting us all. And I hope you're making the best of it. I, you know, I've tried to keep routines. I'm, I'm still running every day. I'm, I'm uh, uh, getting out there and, and doing that. And I'm doing this. And I'm doing some TV. I did TV. Uh, if you listen to this on, tu- on Tuesday, I did TV on Monday. I'll be do- on TV on Thursday. Pretty much Mondays and Thursdays for the next couple of weeks. There might be some other days thrown in there, but... Uh, 
not getting the same volume of appearances because look, there's not a lot of room for punditry. I, you know, when I was on a Monday night with Call Rove, and it's getting crazy because we're agreeing about everything. Look, here's what I think. I think that the election is going to boil down to where we are as a nation in October. If we're still in a situation like this where there's great uncertainty in our nation, Donald Trump will not be elected, reelected president of the United States. It's period. If somehow we're in a situation where the economy's recovered, where we are, uh, we have a real plan for dealing with any resurgence of this virus in the fall, which Dr. Fauci said on Monday is likely, not not just you know not just probable, but likely to happen. Uh, if we're in a better place at that point in time, then he'll probably be reelected. If we see the stock market tumbling and unemployment, really, I think, forget about the stock market. The stock market uh, can recover, but people will not feel it, right? I mean, that was the Obama dilemma during his uh, administration, particularly during midterms. And even, you know, the election of Donald Trump, the stock market had recovered, unemployment was down, but people didn't feel it. So if we're in a situation in November where unemployment's, you know, over 10%, I don't see how the president gets reelected. Um, if we're in a situation where people are still, you know, restaurants still haven't really fully recovered and people can't really go about their daily lives in November, I don't know how he gets elected. I don't know how we have an election in this country. And I talked about this last week on the show, unless states adopt at some, some form of mail vote by mail, universal vote by mail, uh, by November, it has to happen. Um, we can't be in a situation if we're having this kind of outbreak in November where people can't come out and vote. So, you know, it's, you know, politics, people are like, well, what should Joe Biden do right now? There's nothing Joe Biden can do right now. Right. I mean, there's all this talk about Andrew Cuomo, and I think Andrew Cuomo is doing a great job of him replacing uh, Joe Biden. Andrew Cuomo is showing real leadership. He's showing the kind of leadership that if Donald Trump showed the same kind of leadership, we wouldn't be having conversations about whether or not Donald Trump could be reelected, right? People rally around the flag in these kinds of crises. And while Donald Trump's numbers have gone up, I remember George W. Bush's numbers after 9-11. I worked in the U.S. Senate. I was getting ready for the midterm elections where we planned on crushing him, but we didn't because George W. Bush didn't make the 9-11 crisis about George W. Bush. Now, he made mistakes, policy mistakes, after 9-11. But during the recovery of 9-11, George W. Bush was doing what was needed for all Americans. New York was not a place that liked George W. Bush. But he joined hands with Chuck Schumer and Hillary Clinton and solved New York's problems. Helped solve New York problems, I should say. No, he, he squandered that with the Iraq War. Um, but... I remember those numbers. They were in the 70s, okay? Andrew Cuomo's numbers are in the 70s today. I've been in New York politics my entire life. I've never seen a governor with an approval rating of this in the 70s. My first campaign, one of my first campaigns was for Andrew Cuomo's father, Mario Cuomo, back in the 90s when I was in college. And I and, and you know, he was a popular guy. I don't think he ever got above 62%. So Andrew Cuomo's at 72% right now in the polls. Now that'll fade. That's not going to last forever, but he's showing real leadership right now, something that people admire. Donald Trump is getting somewhat of a rally around the flag bump, but he's still his approval rating is still 
A true rally around the flag bump would have him in the mid-60s right now. But he can't get there because he's thin-skinned. He turns his daily briefings. You know, he's like, oh, he talks about the ratings of the briefings. He talks about himself. The vice president and others at those briefings are obligated to praise him. He brought out the my pillow guy today, for God's sake. Now look, I'm happy that the my pillow guy isn't making those horrible pillows right now, but is instead making masks for our doctors. That's a good thing. But then he goes into this whole rant about how great Trump is and returning prayers to the schools. Okay, give me a break. We're in the middle of a crisis. We're in the middle of a crisis. And I applaud every company in this nation that is contributing to that crisis. I hope they're not making huge profits on it because, you know, I'm sure the market for new pillows right now is probably down, my pillow guy. I hope you didn't decide to make masks to replace those profits. I'm sure we'll find this out at some point. I'd like to know what we're paying for his masks and what it's costing him to make them. That's what I'd like to know, because we know, we all know the MyPillow guy is a Trump supporter, right? That's been a well-known fact. He's been talking about Trump for years, and and there's nothing wrong with supporting people, right? I'm not, you know, business people could do whatever they want. I mean, if he thinks that's a good business decision for him to support Donald Trump, and he thinks he's going to sell more pillows that way, well, go go ahead. But I want to know, now that you've converted your plant into a mask factory, What are you paying to make the masks and what are you selling the masks for? Don't, you know, a lot of people got mad at me on Twitter today when I called him out. And and again, I don't care he's making masks. I even don't care if he's making a profit. But don't call him a patriot if he's making the same kind of profits on those masks as he made on his pillows or maybe even more. I mean, I'm sure it costs more to make a pillow than it costs to make a mask. Or maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. We'll find out. I'd like to find out. A lot of people called me out and said, oh, what have you done for America? Oh, you know, I worked in public service for 10 years of my career. But that's not what it's about right now. It's about us all coming together and figuring things out. And the reason why there's no rally around the flag bump for Donald Trump is because he's a thin-skinned little man who needs to make everything about him and needs to make everything political. The advice I gave him, the free advice I gave him on Fox News yesterday was stop making it about politics. When Andrew Cuomo was asked about whether or not he'd run for president, he said there is no politics right now. Donald Trump has made it about politics still in the middle of this. That's why he has no bump, no real bump. Three points? You're excited about three points in the polls? Give me a break. It's not about what where we are today, America. For those of you worried that Donald Trump is rising in the polls, Pay no attention to any poll today. Pay attention to the unemployment number in October. That's going to matter in the next election. It is it is remarkable to me how thin-skinned and how transparent this president has been. And I don't think that that's being lost on many Americans. I think they still want to see, look, I want to see this crisis overcome. And I want to see this president lead because he is the president right now, right? He's the one who can make the decisions that can help us get through that. I haven't seen that from him. There's been some moments that have been good. 
And there have been some moments that have been bad. I'm not rooting for him to fail so that we beat him in November. I'm just saying, if he keeps going the way he's going, I find it highly unlikely we will succeed uh, at overcoming this crisis to a point where America feels safe in November. We might be in a better place in November. I'm sure we'll be in a better place in November. I don't think we could be in any worse of a place than we're in right now. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of people who get sick and more people die, and that's going to be horrible. And the president himself said if we could keep it under 200,000 deaths, we would have won. Now, for all those people who have been tweeting at me about the 12,000 people that died of the swine flu during the Obama years, you know, you might want to undo those tweets right now, right? You might want to delete those tweets that you tweeted at me. So I have a good guest tonight. Uh, Dr. Freya Dietrich is an emergency room doctor at Northern Westchester Hospital. It's part of the Northwell system here in New York. Um, She has been on the front lines of this. She has been... Um, seeing what's happening, and and you're going to hear directly from uh, a frontline person. I have known her. Uh, I haven't talked to her in years, but she is an emergency room doctor that I I, I grew up with, actually. So I'm really excited to have her on the show, and I'm excited to hear what you think about it. Now, I also got to point out another thing. I've been telling you to go to my website, ChristopherHahn.com. Turns out my website is down, so don't go there. Uh, I'll give you an address at the end of the show that you can email me if you want to email me and, and give me some comments uh, but ChristopherHahn.com is down right now. It may be back up soon, or I might need to do a new website. Uh, a little problem with GoDaddy. <laughs> so, so we will, uh, we'll figure that out, uh, and, and we'll let you know in the future. But, uh, at ChristopherHahn on Twitter is still a great place to get me. You know, it is interesting though. Um, I'm wondering how everybody's doing in this crisis. I know for me, uh, the biggest change for me is that I am not dieting. I'm still trying not to eat white flour, uh, and I'm still not taking any calories from liquid. Those are my two hard and fast diet rules. Um, although I have laxed a little bit on the white flour, I did have, uh, well, I had multigrain pasta last night, but then I had a little bread, white bread. Um, I do believe whole grains are better for you. I think they are more fiber than carb and you know, so I've, I've kind of laxed on that, but I have been doing my daily run. I haven't missed a run since, um, uh, December 31st, 2018. So I've been on a streak since then over a year, about a year and three months now. Um, and, uh, that's been good. And I, you know, it's funny. It's, it's the only time you really see people, right. When you're out of the house and you're out on that run and, you know, people are maintaining their social distancing And I was like under the impression until today that you shouldn't wear a mask unless you're sick, unless you have symptoms. And now the the guidance is maybe people should be wearing masks all the time because we don't know who's sick in America and we want to keep our particles to ourselves, right? That's what they're saying. That's what the new doctor's guidance is saying today. So it is interesting because you do see some people out there with masks. And I was thinking last week, you know, I was driving to my radio studio and I saw a couple people in cars driving by me and the drivers were wearing masks in the cars. And I thought, why are they wearing masks? Like, you know, they had them down because they were in their car by themselves. Um, this guidance is going to change. It's going to change like every single couple of, not every day, but it's going to change every couple of days. And we've got to stay on top of it and we've got to pay attention to it. And we've got to get it from good, reliable sources. 
um, the doctors are still trying to figure this out. And that, and that's, you know, that goes to, you know, what we were talking about earlier, where are we going to be in October, right? Where are we going to be? They don't, you know, right now people are saying wear masks. So I guess when we go out, we should wear masks or at least cover our face. I don't think you need to have a N95 mask. That's not what they were saying. But what they're saying is we have to do what we can to keep our, you know, look, when you talk, you spit. Even if you don't spit, you're emitting particles into the atmosphere. And we want to keep those particles away from people because you don't know if you have it and you don't want to infect somebody. And then they bring it home to somebody and God knows how it's going to impact that person. So watch the guidance. And practice safe social distancing. It's so, so, so important to what we're doing right now. We'll see. We'll see where this goes. I mean, we're hearing about states locking down now through the end of May. Virginia announced a 70-day lockdown. New York is still uh, expanding it in two-week increments. So New York is now on a stay-at-home order, non-essential workforce order. Uh, until April 15th, which is, you know, two weeks from now, I think that it's probably going to be extended through the end of April and probably through the end of May. So we're in this for a long haul. What are you doing to take care of yourself during this time? Are you finding some time uh, to enjoy whatever you can enjoy? What can you appreciate during this time? For me, you know, I'm spending a lot of time walking my dog. I know I've said that. And even though my diet has suffered dramatically during this uh, crisis, I am putting about 22,000 steps in walking that dog. And that's really the only time I see people, um, you know, unless I go to a store. And it is weird being recognized in this crisis. I was at a large box store. I will not tell you the name of, but I was at a large box store picking up supplies um, a couple days ago. And some older gentleman, in a uh, in a motorized uh, shopping cart, recognized me and wanted me to talk to him. And I was like, uh, yes, I am me. And no, I will not take a selfie with you. I am not getting within your personal space. You are an older gentleman and I might have it and I don't want to give it to you. You know what I'm saying? It is, it, these are strange, surreal days. And I'm like ranting in a circle here, right? <laughs> I'm ranting in a circle. Maybe I should get to my guest and then come back and, and talk to you a little more. But before I do, I got to remind you about uh, WarbyParkerTrial.com. We're all War, WarbyParkerTrial.com slash Han. Make sure you do the slash Han, uh, H-A-H-N. Uh, look, we're all stuck at home right now. If you need new glasses, where are you going to go? You're not going to go out and get them. Uh, if you have your prescription, you send it to WarbyParkerTrial.com slash Han. You get a, a special offer. You could try five pairs at home for five days with no obligation. And then if you want to buy them, it's $95 a pair. That's including prescription lenses. So look, I think it's a great time for, for this uh, company to be advertising because everybody's home. But I think it's a great company anyway. What they do is for every pair of glasses you buy, they donate a pair to someone in need. And, you know, look, there are going to be a lot of people in need uh, over the next couple of months that are going to need those glasses. So go to warbyparkertrial.com slash Han and give it a try. If you need glasses, you won't regret it. All right, I'm going to take a quick break and then I'm going to come back uh, with Dr. Freya Dietrich uh, and we're going to talk about what's going on inside the hospital. Stay where you are. 
Hey America, Christopher Hahn here, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right-wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests against stay-at-home orders around the country? It's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download podcasts. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, COVID continues to reshape the law. Supreme Court arguments will be held by teleconference. The justices won't even know if the lawyers are wearing pants, which is fair given the eternal mystery of what's under those black robes. Los Angeles County is springing 25% of its inmates. The sheriff suggests folks get ready for what might be a spike in crime. Check it all out on the next episode of Too Many Lawyers. Joining me now is somebody who I've known uh, almost my entire life. I I haven't seen her in like 30 years. Uh, She is a doctor in the emergency room in North Westchester Hospital. Freya Dietrich is an emergency room doctor, and she's joining me right now. Freya, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Well, first of all, before we start this interview, let me just thank you on behalf of all the doctors and nurses and orderlies and other people that make the hospitals run who are putting themselves in harm's way every single day uh, to help save their fellow man and woman uh, through this crisis. So I really do applaud the work you're doing. It is amazing to me. It's amazing to me that I know somebody who grew up to do that. And it's really, I'm really proud of you. And I think America is is counting on you and your colleagues uh, to get us through this. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. And you brought up, you said something perfect, which is it is, it's the tech, it's the people keeping food coming to the hospital. It's the people, the radiology tech, you know, that's really the whole team. It takes the whole team, the respiratory therapist, that's who is doing this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is amazing to me that every single day they're going into battle there in the hospital and it's not just the doctors and nurses. You're right. There's techs. There's there's orderlies. There's janitors. There's there's uh, con, you know people who are pr- providing meals to keep you working all day. Um, so tell me, uh, Doctor Dietrich, what is the feeling right now? I mean, your hospital's in Westchester. Westchester's been hit pretty hard. You're in a part of Westchester that hasn't been hit as hard as say Southern Westchester and uh, in that part of the county. But you're definitely seeing uh, some patients coming in. What's it like being in the ER right now? Um, it's, it's tense, but we're very positive about our ability to handle it. Once we sort of up to our disaster plan, then we know we have the personnel, we have the space, we have created all this system that can work. Every hospital has a disaster plan. It's just very, very infrequent that you really go to it. And expect to be staying in it for an extended right. period of time. Right. Is this the first time your hospital has activated their disaster plan? That I don't have the answer to. I've only been at that facility for two years. I know we were able to very quickly switch to a different area of the hospital for the ER one time for just a generator replacement. Right. You know, simple stuff. But those are good practice runs. And you've been an ER doctor now for how long? A long time. I, I would, have, yes, you, have you always 20, been in the ER? Yes. Yep. I graduated med school in 1999 and then residency in 2003. So Excellent. quite a while. 99 is when I graduated law school. 
Uh, Med school takes longer, but I took time off. You probably were going straight through, uh, you know, as all people in your profession, driven, smart, uh, and, and figuring things out. So, so in 20 years in the ER, other than things like, you know, equipment failure and, and things of that nature, have you been in this kind of disaster mode before? Not at all. Um, even when we were gearing up for stars and making sure we were ahead of it, it wasn't with the awareness that it's not some that it's unstoppable like it is now. Like this isn't going to not be here; it's here now. How are we going to mitigate it to the best of our ability? Yeah, yeah. And how do you feel it's going? I mean, uh, I mean, clearly, you know, you sound calm. And when I talked to you before, you you sound like like it's moving along and that there is a plan. How, how are you feeling as this has been implemented? Do you feel like it's going well? I think within the Northwell system, it's going very, very well. I know within the city, um, things are different. The people, the persons per square foot is just radically different. Yeah. So their ability to keep it down is lower, and then to tolerate it at the hospital level is much harder. Have they been asking doctors and nurses and others to volunteer to go more deeper into the city? Because uh, I know Northwell's territory stretches into the city and uh, out to Long Island as well. Uh, like I said, I had Dr. Zipkin on last week talking about the urgent care clinics. Uh, but has there been any requests for volunteers to maybe go into some of the harder hit areas of the of the state? Although I do think it's kind of all over the place right now and it's it's it might not even be worth it leaving yeah we're all everyone's sort of thinly tightly stretched currently at their own facilities but obviously if there were a need elsewhere we'd be able to cross credential and head in wherever they needed us so far that hasn't been an issue good and there's been a lot of talk uh in the media particularly about personal protective equipment and gowns and masks and things of that nature. Are you seeing shortages of that? I mean, are you being asked to prepare uh, ad hoc masks? No, thank goodness, no. We're in a good position. Um, They're not asking us to provide our own. They are making reasonable decisions about conserving personal protective equipment. But if anything is unusable or would be inappropriate to use, we're not being asked to use it. I know that's not the case elsewhere, and I'm really grateful that we're in a position to be okay as far as that's concerned. There's always that fear, like they're saying there's enough. Is there enough for however long this is going to take? And right. Given the nation, I don't know, you know, that's that overlying fear. But from what I'm being told, that we are in a good position. I happen to know Michael Dowling, the CEO of Northwell Health. I find him to be one of the most competent human beings on the planet. Uh, I met him. I met him about 30 years ago. I, I met him like 30 years ago. I've known him pretty much my maybe not 30 years ago, 25 years ago. I've known him almost my entire career, and uh, I always find that he has a plan. Right, he's strategic. He has a plan. Governor Cuomo obviously named him to head the task force that's dealing with this for the state of New York, and I think he's doing a great job so far. Um, how? So you're you're you're, ta- you're talking to a lot of doctors and nurses every day. You're seeing a lot of patients. Um, how would you describe the mood of the people coming in uh, to the hospital? Are you getting a lot of people walking into the ER looking for tests that probably shouldn't be doing that? There are some. There's a lot that this illness, the degree of illness. How ill you need to be to be admitted is pretty far into the illness. Right. Where people, so people are 
sort of sitting at home pretty sick, knowing they're pretty sick and still knowing that they need to wait to their best of their abilities. Right. People are coming in because they just feel that awful. It's an awful, long, long virus. And it's hard if you're at home to know, okay, is this the kind of shortness of breath they're talking about or not? You know, we always, always would want someone, if you don't think you're breathing well, we want you to come in. We want you to come in. We want to look at you and be certain that you are okay, that you're not one of the people right. who are tipping over the edge. You know, and on another facet, the, one of the most important things is if you're having chest pain or something totally, wholly unrelated to COVID, right. I need you to come to the ER. I don't want you at home because you're scared because there's COVID there. Well, isn't I that you to come in because you're having an emergency. Isn't that the big problem right now for a lot of people? Like, if there is another emergency that's not COVID-related. COVID I mean, I'm thinking about this in my own personal life. I'm like, wow, do I want to run this run today? Or do I want to just run the nice, safe off-road run so that I don't maybe get hit by a car, <laughs> you know, or, or trip on a yeah. pothole? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a it's, you know, people, I think, are overly aware. Yeah. Where instead of just making the decision they would make on a normal day, they're not doing that. Now, when it's the I rolled my ankle and I'm showing up in the ER, we'll always take care of you and right. we'll always be happy to. But people, I think, are understanding that that's not critical right now. Right. But I'm because hearing some hospitals in like Manhattan and in the in some of the outer boroughs it might be hard to get in there. And they're even saying that the ship, the Navy ship comfort that they're sending here is going to actually be used as a regular hospital. Because regular hospital. Yeah. yeah. All right, Dr. Dietrich, hang out. I got to take a yep. quick break, pay some bills, and I'll be right back. All right, no commercials for you. Here's part two of my inter- interview with Dr. Freya Dietrich. Dr. Dietrich, I really do appreciate you joining me. I, I want to ask you about this article I saw in the New York Times today about, uh, it was a, actually an op-ed piece about doctors preparing their wills and sequestering themselves from their families as they are dealing with this, um, uh, with the outbreak and the virus. I, I, I don't know if you read it, uh, and, and just want to get your opinion on how doctors are feeling right now. Overall, I think ER doctors are pragmatic from the gate. I mean, we wouldn't be in this field if we weren't sort of a get-it-done crew. Um, but this one's, I think, scaring people. There's, I know I have two colleagues that, or one colleague whose husband is also an ER physician. They sent their children to relatives' houses for the mm. duration. You wow. know, they may not see them for four or six weeks because wow. it just didn't make sense to them to keep them home. Yeah. I know I'm changing my clothes at the hospital in a way that I didn't used to do and then walking in the door and stripping again. Um, because I don't want to contaminate my own household. Right, right. That's a little different. And then as far as wills are concerned, someone had asked me, well, you know, you're young and healthy. You know, why does it matter? And they're not, I think people still aren't getting it. And I don't know that I really got it a month or two ago, but it doesn't matter. Like, so even if I don't die from it, if I get hospitalized, um, and quite honestly, Chris, you and I aren't that young. No, anymore. we're not that young. Um, <laughs> we're younger than other are. people our age, <laughs> yeah. you and I, I think. But exactly. we're not that young. <laughs> we're maintaining our health. Yes. But, the, um, but you still don't know. In any given flu season, younger people die yeah. inexplic- inexplicably. Yeah. Um, so certainly within this, the variables are so, so big. 
you know, we don't understand if there's if there's a cumulative viral load that's making some of the younger doctors sicker. We don't know if there's a re-exposure risk. Right. We don't really understand this virus yet. Right, and that's the so big question that's everybody the has. That's the big question everybody has. If I get it, can I get it again? Yeah. You know? You keep joking around. Once I get it, am I super doc now? Am I just like free for all <laughs> they got to figure that out right away i don't yeah. know why i mean, I know that's probably hard i mean look i'm acting like i know yeah. i'm sure it's very hard for them to figure that out but that's got to be figured out yeah i mean that would be nice to know if i know them like i get it i get through it now i'm re- truly immune that would be fantastic like that would be a relief or is it that a second hit would be so much more dangerous than you know, it's just a different category. Either way, our job is to protect ourselves and protect our patients. Yeah, and and I'm not joking when I say this. Dr. Dietrich is also a world-class athlete. You were, like, winning Spartan races around the country and and, and training like you were on the, you know, on the Giants, basically. <laughs> um, how are you coping with the, you know, I'm sure your workouts have been curtailed. Um, because you're working so much. I mean, we thought we might not even be able to get you on the show tonight because there would have, was going to be a sh- shortage of doctors. Um, yep. um, you know, how are you dealing with that in your personal life? Uh, that's been different. I'm a goal-oriented athlete. So last year I had a goal. I wanted to be sort of really highly ranked in the world in my age group and finish the year in fifth place for Spartan Race for women my age. Right. Um, And so that was such a specific goal. I, you know, knew when my A races were and was training so specifically for them. As soon as the early part of this race season got canceled and this all heated up, I really backed off. Right. Some of the time, some of it is in acceptance. Okay, now I have a chance to heal some like little naggy injuries. Right. Back off a little bit. Let's pay a little bit better attention. But some is that we know super extreme exercise does lower your immunity. I know. I I have not. I have four. I have foregone my long runs. Yep. I'm still yep. running every day. Yep. I'm on a streak since December of 2018. Now, I'm I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot, Freya. That's I don't know. amazing. <laughs> but I I I'm not doing like that eight to ten mile run yep. on the weekend because I just don't want to be burnt out. I still want to do my yes. five miles or four miles yep. every day. But I'm not going to do that long run and be burnt out and just, yeah. you know, be weaker. Because I know yeah, how I get after a long run. I could be yeah. tired. Yeah. And it does. It's known that intense exercise does drop your immune system. Right. Temporarily. It's right. not forever. But you don't want to have that drop in your immune system right when you're heading into a 12-hour ugly shift. I hear you. I haven't run with a watch you know? on in, in two weeks. Uh, I love, nice. I've taken my watch off and said, I'm just going to go out and jog. I'm going to be just easy. Take it easy. Yeah. You know, and just relax and enjoy the run. And by the way, it's been, you know, uh, you know, having being being home a lot gives me a lot of time to run. Yeah. It's like the only yeah. thing you could really do. I could run and do yeah. push-ups and yeah. that's about it. So it's it's interesting. So so it's uh, is it driving you crazy, though, not to be in the gym every day? Yeah, the, I think for me that back off time right when like this all stressed up, I also teach for Spartan. So all of a sudden I wasn't teaching, which even if I'm not in super workout mode, I'm still teaching. So I'm still there at the gym. So those things all combined really was a drop off. And I realized how much I need to be at least maintaining something for my mental health. Wow. You know, I won't be okay if I don't move my body. That's how I work through things. Me too. 
Me too. It's actually why I'm sane. I would be completely insane. If I didn't run every day, I'd be, I'd be a mess. I'd be a complete mess. I don't mess. think I could claim I'm sane, so it doesn't work for me, but well, I, you know, I don't think than I would be. I, I, yeah, definitely saner than I would be. I mean, if you think I'm crazy now, America, could you imagine <laughs> if I didn't run every day? I mean, people on this show who call in sometimes get hyper Chris. Uh, so it's, yeah. it's good stuff. So, so in, in a, in the short bit of time I have left with you, what do you want to tell people in America who are nervous right now about what's going on? What would you say to them? I think the biggest thing is to know we got it. We got it. We know what we're doing. Um, we're going to need some help. One of the biggest helps is going to be, we need you to stay home. We need you to understand that even though you can't see it and it doesn't seem to matter, you need to stay home. You need to keep your kids home. They can't be having play dates because the one parent from two weeks ago who was out somewhere that their kid is about to be sick is now going to be your kid's best friend. And that's a problem. Yeah, it is. It is amazing that some people just aren't getting it. They, they yeah. think it could just end tomorrow. They're complaining about the shutdown. I mean, our president, yeah. I'm not going to make you talk about politics, but it, nope. it, uh, I'll be talking. I've talked enough yeah. about politics already tonight, uh, but it, it is, it's a, it's amazing that some people don't get it. And let's hope to God they heed Dr. Dietrich's, Dietrich's advice and they stay home, stay safe, stay healthy, just relax. It's all going to work out. Dr. Dietrich, I truly appreciate you joining me tonight. Stay safe, stay healthy, keep up the good work. Thank you, same Chris. All right, stay where you are. I'll be right back. All right, I hope you enjoyed that interview. I hope you've been enjoying these uh, non-political people I've been bringing in to just talk about what's going on. I'm going to try to keep doing that for a little while, although I might have uh, some people who have been involved politically with dealing with the actual emergency. I really appreciate Dr. Dietrich and really what she said about all the people that make these hospitals run, the nurses, the orderlies, the the people on the cleaning staff, the catering staff. It's very important that we support all these people. And not only that, but think about truck drivers who are out there still working, utility workers who are out there still working, delivery people, um, you know, not just for like big companies, but, you know, the pizza delivery guy, the grocery store clerks that are out there. I was at, like I said, I went shopping the other day. You know, these are young kids, really. And and not all of them. I mean, some of them are adults and older, but uh, they're younger people. Just, you know, they're really putting their health at risk. And we need to respect them. And I think that uh, we need to make sure they're properly compensated. And if you're getting something delivered and, you know, you have an ability to tip that person, you should tip them well during this crisis because, uh, really, where would we be in the society without these people keeping the glue together? You know, that they're keeping us glued together. Where would we be without them right now? I mean, where would we be without truck drivers delivering food to the grocery stores? This crisis would be far worse if we were in that situation. So think about those people and think about what they do to keep us going as a nation and really respect them. And, you know, Eight months from now, when we're back having our regular political fight and people want to talk about a $15 minimum wage as if that's some you know some sin on society, uh-uh, I'm sorry. A lot of the people out there making this country work right now are making less than $15 an hour, and that's got to change. That's got to change in this country. 
A lot of things are going to have to change in this country when this is done. We're going to have to talk about, we're going to have to have a real conversation, not a hyperbole-based conversation about socialism versus capitalism when we talk about healthcare in America, because the Republican Party has just shown us that they are perfectly willing to enact socialist policies if it's going to help save their hide, right? If it's going to help save the Dow Jones. So let's be very clear. When this crisis is over, we have to have a real conversation about healthcare in America. And we've got to make sure that every single America, every single American has healthcare. Now, whether or not that becomes a single payer system or a hybrid system of Obamacare, I don't know. But we have to make sure that it's available to every American. And there's going to be a lot of Americans out of work when this is over. And what are we going to do about them? What are we going to do to make sure that they are taken care of physically in this country? How are we going to figure that out? We're going to have to rethink our positions on things. And, you know, I, I for one, want to make sure that every American is covered and that every American can afford that coverage. And a lot of Americans aren't going to have jobs. So that means America is going to have to pay for that coverage. Because what we've learned in this country through this crisis is that when you're sick, you shouldn't go to work. And you should be treated, right? Because you're going to get other people sick. And I'm not just talking about the coronavirus. I'm talking about the common cold or the flu, which get passed around like candy in this country every year because people don't have paid sick leave in America, let alone hospital care or health care that they can go and they can afford and they can get treated. We've got to make sure that changes. That needs to be part of the conversation in this country when this crisis subdues sometime in July. When we're, ha- when we're talking about our election in the fall, where are we going to, what are we going to do? How are we going to bring people together on these issues? We've got to figure it out. And I'm sorry, one party calling the other party names is not going to solve the problem. We all got to come to the table. We got to put our politics aside and we've got to say, you know what? A $15 an hour gig worker who was delivering food helped save this country during the coronavirus crisis. And if you think that's an exaggeration, you're out of your mind. Okay, there are truck drivers right now working, driving overnight to bring food to parts of this country that are infected. And let me tell you something, they are putting their health at risk to do it. And they are not making enough money for what they do. So we better find a way. You know, the president, the president and the Republicans in Congress are all gung ho about bailing out the airlines and the cruise ship industry, which doesn't even pay taxes in this country. They fly their they, they sail their ships under, you know, foreign flags to avoid paying taxes in the United States of America. Uh, you know, great. You know, I'm, I'm all for having an airline industry. I'm all for Delta returning the money I spent at Delta. I, I, I just want to make sure that the workers in this country that are holding us together right now, that are keeping America afloat right now, are taken care of when this is over. They have been forgotten for too long. And let me tell you something. If you're not appreciating them right now, you are insane. Because they are helping us all get by and get through this as a nation. And they they are owed our respect and our admiration. And they are owed a fair living wage and health care. They should be able to afford a roof over their heads and a family. And I don't think that's the case right now for a lot of these people. So let's make sure that when this is over, that's priority one. In our politics. All right. I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, I still enjoy talking to you. And if you want to 
uh, get in touch with me uh, again at Christopher Hahn. And you could go, if you want to email me, you could email me at Christopher.Hahn.info at gmail.com. That was the email address that was on my website, Christopher.Hahn.info at gmail.com. And I will reply uh, to that email. So Christopher.Hahn.info at gmail. Uh, please share this uh, show with other people. We're growing and I really do appreciate all the support you've given me. And I want to remind you, as always, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, America, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week, or maybe sooner, been doing some bonuses, to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated.